As promised, I am thrilled to announce that our tickets for Australian True Crime Live are now available. Join me in Sydney, Brisbane and or Melbourne this July. You can come to all three if you want. These tickets are expected to go very quickly, so be sure to secure yours by visiting the link in our podcast bio or you can head over to the Australian True Crime Facebook page. There'll be a nice link there for you. Update for Brisbane Australian True Crime fans. Brisbane is almost fully sold out for our live show. If you've been a listener for any length of time, you'll know how passionate I am about true crime stories from Australia. I'm looking very forward to an incredible evening together with you, sharing these captivating tales. We will have great guests as well, so, you know, we love a Q&A. If you've ever come along to an Australian true crime live gig, you'll know we love a Q&A with our guests. Don't miss out. Book your tickets today, and I'll see you in July for a memorable night out. I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com work. Shopify.com work. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. We acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which this podcast is recorded. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and to Aboriginal elders emerging. Hi friends, Saturday, October 12 is when we will be in Sydney for a live show with Narelle Fraser and our patrons can buy tickets right now before anyone else and at a reduced price. You still have time to get in on the action before the tickets go on sale to the GP, the general public 
Just go to patreon.com forward slash Aust True Crime Pod. That's A-U-S-T, True Crime Pod. And take the two or five dollar a month option. That is US currency, by the way. You need to know that. But you will also get extra episodes for that and other stuff. And thank you to these nice new patrons. Andrew Eastwood, Selena, Jost. That's a J-O-S-J. Isn't that wonderful? Jost, I think. Casey Bowman. Tamara, Linda loves Australian true crime podcast the most. That's a funny name. Amber Chase, Katie, Andy Michael, Ella Haynes, Peter Barry, Cassandra, Jeremy Ozols, Tracy Timms, Joanna Steins or Johanna. Maybe it's Johanna. You just don't know, do you? You never know. Kirsten Chan, Rachel Craig, Renee W, Sarah Wills, Nicole Bolton. And last but not least, okay, my fave, Jamie Hello, Dushadban. He says it's his real name. He sent me a message through the Australian True Crime Facebook page saying that he was looking forward to hearing me pronounce it just as I was reading it and imagining pronouncing it and imagining what kind of international man of mystery he might be. This Jamie Kello Dushadban. It's wonderful, isn't it? If I ever have another child or adopt another rescue cat, I shall name it Jamie Kello Dushadban. Okay, on with the show. The following podcast contains content of a graphic, violent nature and is not suitable for children. Despite asking all of friends did they know where she was, 15-year-old girls know better than everyone else and nobody would tell me where she was. We'd spent the whole week looking for her. I, I sort of asked everyone, rang around everywhere until we got the knock on the door on the, that Saturday afternoon to tell us that she'd passed away. When you hear about a family that lives in a place called Caves Beach and has daughters called Summer and Bree, it conjures up images of something like home and away, doesn't it? And it sounds like the Jones family really was living a picture-perfect life of surfing and sunshine. Until 15-year-old Bree did what so many of us did as teenagers. She started experimenting with an older crowd that was into a darker scene. Most of us got away with it and chalked it up to teenage rebellion. But Bree wasn't so lucky. A matter of months after she started hanging out with her new friends... Bree was dead of a methadone overdose in the house of Robert Walker. A married father whose wife was out of town, Walker's young children were present during the impromptu party that took place in their home that night. In fact, it was his daughter's evidence to police that placed Walker in bed with Bree on the night she died, which he had previously denied. This is Australian True Crime with Michelle Laurie and Emily Webb. Come with us as we go beyond the news cycle to find out how people become killers, how people become victims and what happens next. What is known is that Bree was not a methadone user because methadone users in Australia are registered with state governments. It's a controlled drug dispensed by chemists. The methadone in question was found by the coroner to have belonged to another party goer by the name of Paul Crombie. Crombie was subsequently charged with Bree's manslaughter and with supplying her with methadone, but the charges failed at committal. 
A number of expert witnesses testified that Bree would have shown signs of severe distress as her body dealt with her overdose. And more than one eyewitness testified to the fact that they did indeed realise something was terribly wrong with Bree, but no one called an ambulance until it was far too late. The prosecutor assisting the coroner, Mick Hall, referred to a group of people who were present at the house on the night Bree died as the Pact. He said Robert Walker, Paul Crombie and several of their friends had conspired with each other to hinder the investigation. He called their evidence a web of deceit and lies and he recommended they all be charged with perjury. Ultimately, Robert Walker was the only one charged with perjury. To date, no one has ever been charged in connection with Bree's death, even though in the scenario put forward by the prosecutor, it's likely that someone else injected her with a fatal dose of methadone and that a number of other people witnessed her in a state of distress and fighting for her life for hours, and yet none of them called an ambulance until it was far too late. It's likely she was moved so as to hide her from the view of police who visited the house while she was still alive, and there appears to have been attempts made to conceal evidence of her prolonged distress and of sexual assault. Bree would have turned 40 a couple of months ago, and her sister Summer, who runs a Facebook page in her honour, contacted us to see if we'd help tell Bree's story. Of course we were happy to help, but there were a few obstacles. Summer was worried she wouldn't remember enough because she was so young when it all happened. Her mum, Marie, has always been shy about being interviewed, and her dad, Wayne, who's been the public face of the family over the years, has recently undergone intensive cancer treatment that's left him weakened. As you'll hear, they try to joke about it, but it's taken a great emotional toll on Wayne. He says he just cries too easy these days. So what we decided to do was take the interview component out of this episode of Australian True Crime. Basically, Emily and I are nowhere near it. We decided to let Summer and her mum and dad, Marie and Wayne, tell Bree's story. What you're about to hear is the Jones family of Caves Beach talking to each other about Bree, the circumstances under which they lost her, and what it's like to go to court and look at the people who allowed her to die at a party. What it's like to hear them change their stories and to hear the legal people say there's nothing they can do about it. You'll hear a lot of mentions of Jade in this conversation. Jade is Summer and Bree's brother. He pops up a few times, but significantly, Jade suffered kidney failure less than 12 months after Bree died, and he ended up receiving a kidney transplant from his dad, Wayne. So, yes, amazing family for many reasons. Without further ado, let's take a seat at the kitchen table in Caves Beach with the Jones family as they reminisce about Bree, who died in 1995. Bree was born on... 11th May 1979. She was the fourth of our six children. We had five girls and a boy. And we were a very close family. Bree, from when she was little, was unique. And I was also so always so proud of her. This little blonde, curly-haired thing that used to run around. Um, as she got older, she you know, joined in a lot of things. She was good at sports. She was first trumpet in the school band. She played the last post at the inaugural Vietnam Vets Parade in 
Civic Park in Newcastle. Really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We had no trouble with Bree whatsoever until the last couple of months before she passed away. She'd actually run away from home on the Sunday night and before the Saturday that she was found dead in the house at Cave Beach. Um, she was left home because of misunderstanding. She thought she was going to be in trouble about something, which she, she wouldn't have, you know, wouldn't have copped that much. <laughs> um, but anyway, I, we, despite asking all of her friends did they know where she was, um, 15-year-old girls know better than everyone else and nobody would tell me where she was. We'd spent the whole week looking for her. I, I sort of asked everyone, rang around everywhere. It was just it was heartbreaking, you know, when one of your kids goes missing like that. Like I said, we were a close family. Yeah, we did everything trying to, to find her until we got the knock on the door on the, that Saturday afternoon to tell her tell us that she'd passed away. And at that stage, we didn't know what had happened because we didn't have a toxicology report, and we didn't know the circumstances. We didn't find out the you know the toxicology report really until oh, months later. But yeah, yeah. So with my memories, I remember her being much like Mel. Yeah, Mini in Mel. In terms of personality, I used to call them Mini Mel. Yeah, that's Mel, the eldest sister, Elder the eldest sister. girl. Yeah, they both had mad senses of humour. Everyone loved them because they were always so funny and, you know, would do anything for a dare and things like that. But, yeah, no, she was really loved, Brie, you know. Just fun personality. Everyone just thought that's, I think, what people remember about her the most, that she was so funny. Mm. Yeah, a lot of the photos we got over the time, you know, just. You dad? No, what can I say? Oh, that's sad. It's funny, I've been married for, oh, I got married at 17. So, what was it, 40? 48 years this year we've been married, and up until Bree died, I'd never see him, uh, Wayne, shed a tear. But um, he gets so easily upset now, you know, especially, you know, I just, just different things set him off. Um, so I guess the night of her death, what, what sort of? Well, we got the knock on the door about five o'clock in the afternoon. I remember it was night time. Yeah, it was dark because it was June. Burke's backyard off and yeah, we were getting ready to go up the hospital to visit Kim. Remember she was in hospital with an asthma attack? Yeah, and uh, I remember no one was here. Yeah, it was just you and I here, and I was folding up some clothes or something, ready to get 
to go and visit Kimberley in the hospital and the police come and, and said that Bree had passed away. And I didn't believe them. I just, I just wouldn't believe it. I thought, you know, I'd made a mistake and, like I said, it was a while before we knew what had happened. But the day after, the next day, on the, that was on the Saturday afternoon, the 3rd of June, the next morning we had to go to the Morgan Newcastle and identify a body. And my daughter, being a police officer, the eldest one, she said, Mum, be prepared. She's going to look really bad and things like that. But when we actually saw her in at the morgue, she looked beautiful. <clears throat> she was she just just looked beautiful. Um, apart from the lividity, where she, you know they just said in, I didn't know what the, what the word lividity was until I saw her in the morgue. But yeah, she just looked beautiful and asleep. Anyway, um, the police officer there at the time said he was from Sydney and he sees these drug overdoses every day and that she had a needle mark on her left arm conducive with her injecting with her right. And we knew straight away then that there was something wrong. That That's not right. Brew was left-handed. And he said, uh, he said, oh, no, he said, I asked the people at the house and they said she's right-handed. So here he was arguing, up, asked the parents, of, you know, Saying that we um, that Bree was left-handed. So was he part of the case, or oh, I don't know what he was. He was just the one that took no, us in there. He was just the one that had to go accompany us. He, he always denied. He said that later on. He you know, really, yeah. Mm. But he anyway, got pulled up barely. Yeah, but anyway, so right from the start, like there was lies being being told. Um, over the next few days, there were statements made. The one, the main players that were at the house all made different statements, you know, up to four each. And when we did get to court, um, they sort of said, well, the defence is, even if they did turn around now and tell the truth, which are we supposed to believe? Yeah. They've made that many false, false statements. False statements. So why did only one get charged with perjury when the coroner recommended that they all did? Um, because what had happened, they had interviewed everyone. I, I think I remember at the first inquest they said that most of them had agreed to DNA testing. Um, Walker didn't. Yeah, but one of them didn't, but they never told us who the one that wasn't uh, tested. And then years later um, the DNA laws changed. And yeah. uh, anyway, so they were able to get that Robert Walker and DNA test him and found out that he was probably, that it was his um, DNA that was, you know, found on Bree, mm. and that he had lied about it in court. He denied it. So he was done for perjury and he got six months. That, that was the only one that's ever been. No, I honestly think they only put him in, in jail because he they kept coming up with court appearances and he wouldn't show or he'd have a doctor's certificate or something else would happen. And then finally, they put him in jail because he was really because he wasn't turning up, right? And so then, but I think he'd done about three months because the, he'd been in jail waiting, yeah. right? Because he wouldn't turn up. So they said, right, oh, you're in, yeah, till you till your court case. And I can't remember. I think we had a little bit of a, a blow up in the court. Did we yell out or something? Well, I don't know. But it's a, it's, it's been a while, but. I remember the magistrate absolutely devastated me. Said, "Oh well, for time already served, uh, he got about three months. He, he, he'd spent about three months in jail, or maybe a bit longer. Who knows? But 
he just said, oh, time already served, bang, bang, bang. And I went, you're kidding, you know. And and um, me and Jabe had been out at the courts we were at. They had like an open open sort of air cell where they bring them across into the courtroom. Mm-hmm. And me and Jabe had walked out there because that, that's where I actually grabbed Walker by the room. Where did you say that? Oh, I grabbed him by a strap. Walker? Remember I grabbed him by a strap and pushed him up against the wall? I pushed him up against, I come out the courtroom <laughs> and he was he was smirking and I just said, you know who I am. And our case, because we had to wait for other people to finish their case. We never ever got a courtroom to ourselves, really, did we? Mm-hmm. Except for the coroner's inquest. Mm-hmm. And, and even then we'd have to go certain days. Anyway, I remember I come out the courtroom and he was talking to these people and he was just this smirk on his face. And I just grabbed him up under the throat and pushed him against the wall and said, you know who I am? And um, he said, no. I said, I'm Bree's dad. And when I grabbed him under the throat, he lifted his, you know, he's getting ready to smash me. And I said, go on, hit me. I'm going to bite your fucking throat here. <laughs> I was pretty guttural. And I said, you're a murderer, a rapist, a liar. <laughs> and anyway, I think they had security there or something come up. Anyway, I said, oh, either your mother or Naomi, give me a little kick in the shins. Oh, it must have been Naomi. It must have been As you went past. Because I tell you who was there, I think it was Dougie Williams. He, he ushered me. Dougie Williams was the cop then. And I, and I'm, I, I can tell you, no, I remember Naomi. And, no, I, I, I think. Either one of you or both of you said, and that goes for me too. You know? <laughs> and well, then, I might have done that. <laughs> and then they had court officers come down mm-hmm. to hunt me and I'm sure it was Dougie Williams, a cop. He He's kept them off me and he took me around. That's when I broke down in tears outside. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. So the coroner's inquest. The first inquest was in September, three months after she died. I thought it was a couple of years yeah. from what I read. And then the next one. No, we had a committal after, too. Uh, after the first one because everything was pointing towards Crombie mm. and we talked to the DPP. Bree's case was pretty high profile in Newcastle, you know, very high profile. It was in the paper a fair bit, wasn't it, Ray? Mm. Anyway, the DPP decided to run with let's put Paul Crombie up for committal. For murder or manslaughter, or I forget what it was. But because anyway. he was a methadone, he was the one on the methadone program. The methadone had to come it from him. It was his methadone that killed Bree, so they decided to go for him and they used the, the other four statements to nail, to nail Paul Crombie. But Paul. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. 
Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Probably had the best barrister in town. He, he had a guy called Paul Rosser who had been head of the DPP in Newcastle. And he, he, he jumped across the private practice. Mm. And anyway, we had a guy called Greg Fatches. Anyway, when I talked to him <laughs> the day of the, the court hearing, I remember saying to Greg Fatches, you know, I said, oh, I don't really think you're going to have much luck here because these people are all saying different things. You know, it's not going to be hard to shoot it to pieces. And he went, we said, oh, he started rambling. He said, I'm really tired. I've been up all night playing video games. You know, they were, they were just sort of just the Nintendos we and things like office. that. He's Did leaning back in his chair with his hands service. behind his head with his eyes shut. He was, like, was really knackered. It was up, it, I got the feeling he hadn't looked at our case until he got there that morning. Look, I might be selling the guy short, but, you know, I reckon I could have got Crombie off on, on what was put up, you know, and, mm. and, and Crombie's never, ever really given any sort of statement. He got up, he, he never really, when he talks, he talks like a high-pitched Donald Duck. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's how he talked. He was like that, didn't he? And then and, and people started laughing in the courtroom, and I think he said, Oh, I talk like this, what's up wrong with me or something like that. He's a two years tall and weird when I didn't buy the motorboat. I remember his, his funny voice and he had, I think, he might, must have had his father's suit on because, it's, 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 yeah, he could just see the tips of his fingers. <laughs> yeah, so, but anyway, you know, the, what Ross more or less said was, look, we've got all these statements here and none of them, each one of them has made multiple statements and each statement they make, is different from the statement before. Cool. Yeah, so so that it was, was out the door uh, within. And so at that stage, most of them had left town. Hmm. Is any still left around? No. Because they made me, when we sat down with the coroner at the start, um, Mick Hall took us in um, to meet the coroner, Col Elliott. He was a lovely fellow, wasn't he, Col? Hmm. And I actually said to him, do you have a problem if I go around asking these people questions myself? Mm-hmm. Which I'm glad I did because I, I got a little bit more out of most of them than I didn't threaten them or anything, but, but I tended to get a bit more out of them than what the cops did. And Col Elliott said, No, he said, You go for your life. And what he'd done then, he made me what they call part of proceedings. Right? Mm-hmm. So, and because I was part of the proceedings, anything to do with Bree's case, we received. Oh. Now, what happens? I don't know if things have changed, but what happens if you're not part of proceedings? Well, you can, but in them days it was $4 a page for them to print it off. And I've got thousands of pages. Mm. You know, so an interesting fact about Col Elliott, I run into Col, and Col made certain recommendations that they continue with Bree's investigation, which they did. But, you know, the way he worded it was, you know, this with the utmost urgency, you know, don't let this go. Well, you know, they put one detective on it sort of thing. But when I talked, I run into Colin in town one day 
mm. after actually after he'd retired and uh, and we were talking and I said, Cole, in all your years as a coroner, mm. how many of your recommendations have been acted on by the government? And he said in all his coronial inquiries, I've only ever acted on one one recommendation. So people are sitting there watching the news and they say, oh, the coroner recommended this. Don't get the idea it's going to be law because nine times out of ten it won't be. When things started to, to die down a, a bit and they couldn't really get anyone. Uh, the DPP in Newcastle was really good. Big different guys you had. Greg Fatsis maybe not, but Guy Bailey and there was a couple of others. and They took me to Sydney and they said, look, getting heat from Sydney, blah, blah, blah. And uh, they said, about it's time to let go. It's time to let go. Anyway, they sent, I went down with him. He drove me down, everything was good. And I went in, I saw this guy, a young guy. And um, he said, Look, Mr. Jones, he said, we're putting Bruce file away. He said, It's still active, but, you know. And I lost lost it a bit, and I said, well, what are you telling me? You're putting it on a shelf, never to be taken down. He said, oh, I'm not saying that. He said, but he said it's not in the public interest. And so when the DPP, the things you learn, when the DPP says it's not in the public interest, what they really mean is it's getting too expensive or it is too expensive. We keep chasing and I had a fair, I had a fair spit at this fella, and I remember I jumped up and I had a briefcase and on, I can't remember it was on my lap on the table and you wouldn't believe it, a photo of Bree come out in front of us, and I said, well, don't tell me you, you're packing it in, tell her, you know, and uh, I abs- oh, they come close to getting sick. I wasn't happy, I can tell you anyway. I stormed out of the building. And the guy, I'm sure his name was Bailey, the fellow took me <clears throat> took me down and he was really good, you know, but but that's the way it works, so So you mentioned something about it's still there was Operation Lorelei or something. Yeah, apparently that was called Operation yeah, Lorelei. When they bought when that eagle net, net or something. And they told us like Bruce Bruce Castle always sort of stay open and every time that one of the ones that they, you know, the suspects sort of thing, they, every time they even got a parking ticket or something, I said they'll go on this thing. You know how they mm. um, cost match everything? Yeah. But. Um, yeah, Laurel Lye was the name of, of Priest Case. It was yeah. um, Operation Laurel Operation Laurel yeah. But yeah. so even that, when, when I know when, um, one of the detectives went looking for stuff on Bree's case. It turned out they ended up finding it in a back storeroom at Cardiff Police Station. Oh, and they said they don't even know how it got there. We met a lot of people through what happened to Bree that, that have been in not so much similar but situations where they've had to go to the courts and, and not one of them has been happy with their results. And people on the TV are still saying the same thing. We didn't get justice today, you know. After the break, Wayne talks about something called the White Knight Syndrome. 
Coming up on Australian True Crime, Marie and Wayne talk about another terrible case they ended up strangely involved with. But first, Marie goes through the agonising details she's pieced together over the years of the last night of Bree's life. From what we can gather, the next door neighbours reckon they heard on the Friday night after they'd all been to the pub, uh, they come back to the house. I don't know what happened after that, but the neighbours next door remember hearing a girl giggling, which I assumed was Bree, about 1.30 in the morning, I think they said. Yeah, so what had happened, they've, they've all come back to the house. Something obviously has happened then at, um, on the Friday night, right? Someone's heard Bree giggling at about 1.30 in the morning. I don't know what's happened after that. But early hours, before about 7 o'clock or 6.30 or something in the morning, they realised Bree was in trouble because she had copious amounts of fluid coming out of her, the, you know, mm-hmm. um, and that Robert Walker's seven-year-old daughter at the time had said Bree was making sick noises. So they knew she was in trouble from early mm. hours of the morning, right? Yeah, he maintained he didn't even know she was in the and bed next week. And instead of calling, if, if Bree had took the drugs herself or anything like that, they would have just called an ambulance and got her help, but they didn't. What they did instead was push her body off the bed where she was onto a single mattress between the bed and the window. So I think that would have happened when the police knocked on the door because they came and knocked on the door about... Um, Nine half past o'clock. eight, nine o'clock in the morning because the landlady they'd been staying up, you know, up until the Wednesday had complained because she'd locked them out because they hadn't paid the rent or something and he come to get his car and he pushed it down the hill down to where Bree was and I think they were getting ready to, to dispose of a body. Anyway, the police came and knocked on the door and they, they had no reason to go inside but I think if they had gone inside then they probably would have found Bree still alive but um, anyway after the police left they stripped all they got all heaps of washing Robert Walker called a cab went down to his sister-in-law's house and took heaps of washing down in the cab they all sort of took off from the house you found that out there yeah your father found that out you and us Taxi drivers. Taxi drivers. Yeah, no. yeah, it wasn't too many people I didn't go and ask things. Mm. Um, now, with Bree, Bree was just an adventurous young girl who got mixed up with adults, you know, with older people. Mm. You got mixed up with the older people and she, she, she couldn't control them. She couldn't control the game. You game over took her, and I've got to tell you, senior. I'm good. I'm worse when you do that. Don't <laughs> be nice to him, son. Take me. Be cruel. <laughs> senior, your mum. She was cold enough. Wasn't supposed to leave me here and there. And caress her. It's just so sad. 
She was just beautiful. Just lying there. Yeah. Yeah. Worst day of your life isn't when your child dies. The worst day of your life is when you've got to identify it. That's the worst day. Because you know then. It sounds terrible, but you're sort of thinking, I was thinking, nah, they got this wrong, this will be someone else's kid. But it's not. And for everyone else around us, it's just business as usual. Fill this out. Fill that out. And I remember just watching your mum. She was so gentle. Anyway, that'll do me for now. Sorry. Mm-hmm. I told you I cry easy these days. Yeah, you can blame it on points out, it's fine. <laughs> Go watch your footy. Oh, I can't wait to get my canastas back. Hey. That's now. I'll I'm sorry, darling. I didn't sorry, mean to Dad. do that. No, it's... It's been a hard few years, I can tell you. <laughs> Six months after yeah. Bree died, Jade got the, you know, 14-year-old son has kidney so failure. So that's what I wanted to ask you because I read in one of the articles, it said a few years after, but I always remember Jade being 14 when he got sick. He was sick. 14 when he got sick. Yeah, he was six months after yeah. Bree died. Like Bree died in June and in the end of the he went surfing one day and come home and said something's wrong and he was shaken. He was always fit and healthy and everything. Yeah. So, you know, within... But we didn't do the transplant until 2000. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was 19 when he got it done, yeah? Yeah, yeah. He, he, was, he was 14 when he was diagnosed. 14, yeah, 14 when he was diagnosed. 17, I think he was on dialysis. And then 19 when he got the kidney yeah. off your But he got in a few times after surgery, but he kept it in staff, didn't he? Or... No, not staff. No. Just, just sick. It, it staff. Just one, you've got to have so many markers to be able to, everything's got to be right. On the day, yeah, if you, we went through four times because they knock your immune system out straight afterwards. You have to be perfectly fit, you know. What I mean, as fit as you can. Yeah. And um, because to... it was a live transplant too, with your dad giving you the kidney, it yeah. had to be. Um, he had to be fit as well. Yeah, we used uh, to go in on a Sunday night, and Jade, so it went for a long time because Jade wouldn't take it because you got to get psychologically evaluated, and he, he just felt bad taking my kidney. Yeah. So all this be true. You know, losing Bree, six months later, he's sick, two inquests. You know, it was a, it was a really hard road. But having but, said that, the fact that we had so many of you kids keep us busy. Well, that was it, you know. You know, if, if Bree had been an only child, we'd have just wallowed in. Because I can, I can remember the day of Bree's funeral and from when she died and through to the funeral, because we had to wait a while for the autopsy. autopsy. Um, everything was busy. There was people everywhere, people coming and going. And then the day after the funeral, it all stopped. I remember we were sitting in and it was 
a month after just that, so quiet. it's so quiet. A month after, it was just so quiet. Stopped and, you know, like now, you, you never you, back at school. And, well, you yeah. never had a chance to think about anything. So you, your big sister was was away. Naomi. Naomi was, was up out in and Queensland. About. She was up in Queensland. Yeah, they all come back for it, but then again, everybody everybody sort of went again. But mm. and we had lots of relatives and friends coming around. But but you're so busy, and then all of a sudden, day after the funeral, bang. Then you realise. And then it's you, you go. You realise you know, that you know. I can remember thinking. I can't if it's it's not going to work if it's like like this forever, but then slowly your life comes back. But if you've only got one child, um, I used to go to a lot of the drug talks and that, and I always remember there was two things that were said to me that sort of I stopped going. And one person said to me, "Look, because people were ringing up. Remember, people would ring up and would go and talk with them, and and they said you've got to be careful of the white knight syndrome." And I said, "Well, what's that?" And they said, "Well." People will ring you out and this and that, and you go and help them. And you're doing everybody, you're yeah, doing stuff for everyone else all the time. Yeah, but but in the same boat sort of thing. Because I went, remember, went to the court case for that young, um, hmm. the young girl. Same oh, thing. Yeah. She was she was a 15 year old girl that was um, found dead in the toilets over. I think oh, Mum on point. Anyway, we'll same go. thing. Tied up with the older. Got tied up with a couple of older guys. Yeah. But at, at the end of the day, what happened was you had two older guys, right? You had a stable of these young girls. You used to get them thieving and that for him. Anyway. Are you serious? No, mm. Yeah, I am serious because we talked to one of their mothers. Remember we yeah, went up? Yeah, don't mention her name. And she died at a house. He was and went and put her in a public toilet. Yeah. Went and left her. Her he went to prison. And there was a story about how he, uh, he was already someone to have sex with a dead body too. But what happened was, his story was, it wasn't me to put the needle in her arm, it was this bloke. And the other bloke said, it wasn't me to put the needle in her arm, it was this bloke. So, of course, in, where you would think, right on, you're both going in the, in the boob, right. they can't prove which one done it. So both of them are getting off. The other bloke got off completely, I'm sure, and got done for interfering with the corpse. Which is 15-year-old That's girl. What I mean, you know, what... She was a child. How do you do this? That case was like something out of a horror movie. But but at the end of it, here's this 15-year-old girl. She's been with two guys, older guys, a lot older, in their company. One says he put the needle in her arm. The other one says, no, it was him. Game over. They both get off. One gets off completely. The other one gets off with interfering with a corpse in the fact that he moved the girl from the house to the public toilet because he didn't want to be caught with her in his and, – and, and all that happened is people had seen seen his car and that with the number plate. That's the only reason he got caught. He would have left that kid there, didn't give a shit about it. He was a shocker. Thank you to the Jones family of Caves Beach. If you'd like to show your support for them and pay your respects to Bree Jones, you can visit the Facebook page Summer Runs in memory of her sister, the Bree Jones Memorial Page. There's a link in our show notes and on our Facebook page. Thank you for downloading this episode of Australian True Crime. Thank you. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app. You can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program. The secret to summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil, clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Its signature scent of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com. As promised, I am thrilled to announce that our tickets for Australian True Crime Live are now available. Join me in Sydney, Brisbane and or Melbourne this July. You can come to all three if you want. These tickets are expected to go very quickly, so be sure to secure yours by visiting the link in our podcast bio or you can head over to the Australian True Crime Facebook page. There'll be a nice link there for you. Update for Brisbane Australian True Crime fans. Brisbane is almost fully sold out for our live show. If you've been a listener for any length of time, you'll know how passionate I am about true crime stories from Australia. I'm looking very forward to an incredible evening together with you, sharing these captivating tales. We will have great guests as well, so, you know, we love a Q&A. If you've ever come along to an Australian true crime live gig, you'll know we love a Q&A with our guests. Don't miss out. Book your tickets today, and I'll see you in July for a memorable night out.